You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. The book of Colossians, the first chapter, started back up in Colossians last week, and we're continuing on now. Colossians chapter 1, verses uh, 3 through 8 will be our text this morning. Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love In the spirit. Grass withers, the flower fades, and the word of our God stands forever. So, this morning, as we continue our way through the book of Colossians, we are asking how the Colossian church got themselves into this place where Paul is thankful to them and thankful for their hope that is laid up in heaven that's causing this faith in Christ and this love for all of the saints. How were these beneficial qualities? being produced in their lives? And that's an important question to ask because that's a, that's a quality that we all should want to be producing in our own lives. These are wonderful things to have in your life that in the midst of the Colossian church going through all the difficulties they were suffering, they, they still had the, the false teaching that was going on in their lives, the difficult time that it was to be a Christian in this time period. They still have this hope that is laid up for them in heaven and it's producing faith in Christ and, and love for one another, selfless, costly love for one another. How do we increase then our hope in heaven? How does our faith in Christ increase? And how do we find the fuel to keep our love for others going? Well, Paul says that the, they, these realities, they have them because they have heard something. They've heard something. There's been this message that has been declared to them. There he says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard. You have heard. But how can words really make that much of a difference? It's actions that really count, right? Like, don't, don't tell me all these things, but show me. We, we, we are a world full of, we want actions. Okay, show me what you can do. Show me. Actions are what really count. And I would confirm that, yes, actions certainly are good. And we could go to the book of James. It tells us that, you know, faith without works is dead. That, that actually faith itself and love for others, if it is not accompanied with actual doing of love, the, the, the act of loving for others, it is not real faith. It is not real love. But the gospel is a message that is heard. It is not a message that I act out for you. Even though you can do selfless things for other people in the, in the likeness of Christ, the gospel specifically is a message that is heard. 
We should never underestimate the power of the spoken and then, then necessarily the value then of the spoken word. It's the, one of the reasons why the Christian worship has always included this part of the service where someone just gets up and says things. Like, do you ever think about how odd this is? I mean, does it ever cross? Thanks, Laura. <laughs> you, ever, you know, it's like, so this guy gets up, you know, and, and talks, and that's supposed to somehow make a difference? Yes. The gospel message is a preached word. And as that preached word, as that message is something that has to be declared to us, as that message is preached and then heard, great change is wrought in the heart of those who hear it and receive it. Romans 10, 17, we, we believe that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ, that it is, that's why we hold in high value this reality of the spokenness of the gospel message. Those that you love, those that you are around, those that you want to know the gospel, want to know Jesus, at some point are going to have to interact with a declared truth to them. They're at the, maybe it comes through reading something or whatever it may be, but there is a spokenness, a necessity to the hearing that this, the content of this gospel message gets out. But it's not just any spoken message, right? Here on the opening of Colossians, Paul calls it specifically the word of truth. That's his description of the gospel, the word of truth. Paul uses the same phrase in the opening of the book of Ephesians. In chapter 1, verse 13, he says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. This word of truth, the gospel, preached to them that they heard, brought regeneration, brought them to life. And in 2 Timothy, Paul writing again, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, he says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So, and you could go to Psalm 119, which speaks of all of God's word basically being the word of truth. For Paul, and consequently for all of us who are Christians, what makes the gospel message so powerful is that it is the word of of truth. It is the word of truth. Paul doesn't say that they've heard a great word of encouragement, the gospel. He doesn't say they've heard a great word of, of how to live right. He doesn't call it, you've heard the message of how to practically get through the life that you're going through. Here's, here's the word of practical helps called the gospel. Certainly all of those things are important. We want I think the gospel has incredible practical applications and implications. It has incredible encouragements. There is a call of obedience to the gospel that does include righteous living. Certainly all of those things are important, but all of those realities flow from this first and most important reality that the gospel is the word of truth. We do not need, first and foremost, the word of practical help. We do not need, first and foremost, the word of encouragement. We do not need, first and foremost, the word of rules. Now, immediately, 
this uh, is not a politically correct stance to take because today we're to say things like my truth or to say things like, well, this is true for me. What's true for you is true for you. And what's true for me is true for me. And, you know, as long as we all, as long as it makes all of us better people, however you define better people, then it's all equally valuable. Your truth, my truth. That is not the mentality of Paul. And that's not the view that scripture takes. Truths, truths, many truths. The, the message of scripture, Paul is speaking of the one true truth. True truth. Paul's having none of this nonsense of, he doesn't say, you heard a word of truth called the gospel among many words of truth. And as we read on in the book of Colossians, you'll see why he's making this very point, that it isn't one truth among a sea of many truths. This is the one truth. The gospel message that the Colossians heard is not just one message of truth in a sea of many truths. He doesn't call it a truth he calls it the truth. You've heard the word of truth. It's a singular and universal word of truth. Dick Lucas in his commentary writes, This bold claim to possess and preach the truth must always be a scandal to men and women in any age, not least our own. But we have to insist that the merits of the gospel cannot be compared with other forms of religious teaching. For while they are relative, that is truth for you, but not for me, Christianity is absolute and therefore universal. This is truth for all. This is truth for all. Paul is writing, he's rejoicing. They have heard before in the, the word of truth. Not a word of truth, but the word of truth, which is the gospel. The gospel message is not some imaginative fantasy. It's not some esoteric or merely abstract theory. It is the message that the God who made all things became man. Jesus Christ, truly living, truly dying, truly rising from the dead. Not ideas and principles thought up, not keys for living, not just living, but, but, but real living reality and space and time. Truth about Jesus. We are not primarily or fundamentally just pragmatists. If your faith, uh, if, if your belief system makes you a better person, again, by whose definition do we say better person? Then what's good for you, then that's good. That's not Paul's thought. That's not what he's saying to the Colossians. There is a singular word, the word of truth, and it's the gospel that Paul has preached and that they have heard from Epaphras. What do we need most in our lives today? We need truth. True truth, real truth. Christianity is not about trying to game the system to make your life temporarily better. I know this is a long screen. <laughs> Look at all that stuff Darren's wrote up there. Christianity is not about trying to game the system to make your life temporarily better. 
A lot of religion, that's what we're, that's what we're about. We're this search for God. Many times is that a search for God just involves, I have this little area of my life I'd like some help in, and so I'm going to search for God, and I'm going to try to game the system of life to make mine temporarily a little better. Christianity is not about trying to game the system to make your life temporarily better. Christianity is not a life hack. Now, some of you think, well, I don't even know what a life hack is, Darren. But life hack is it's just a way to, to just a way to cheat the system, a little help. If it, if it works, then it's good. It's a life hack. It, it makes my life easier. Christianity's not a life hack. It is beneficial only so far as it is, as it is true. And as the truth, it does make all the difference. So what is the gospel, the message of truth, and why is it so important? I'm stressing that what we need is not mere practical tips, encouragement, or just better rules. What we need is the truth. Why do I have to stress that? I mean, because I know we all think, well, Darren, of course I want the truth. I mean, and it's easy to say, well, yeah, I want the truth. Tell me the truth. But think of it this way. It's like going on a cruise ship. Anybody ever been on a cruise? I've been on a few cruises. Anyone else been on a cruise? All right, she's been on a cruise. My wife has been. I went with her, yeah. So... All right, you go to an all, you know, and when you go to a cruise ship, the ones we've been on anyway, they don't, you don't pay for anything on the cruise, right? Some of that food and all that stuff is kind of paid for in the buffet, but all the gift shops, any pictures you want, any extra food, any um, excursions, you don't pay for the thing as you go do it. They just put it on your room. And so, you know, and, and then you don't have to, you don't have to, it's so convenient. You never have to worry about paying for anything. It's just going to get put on a bill. Don't even, don't worry about it. Just buy whatever you want in the gift shop. And then at the end of the cruise, we're going to hand you the bill that's, and we're going to put on your, you know, put on your credit card that you may not even have to think about it till you get home 30 days later and your credit card bill comes through and then you get the truth. Now, why, why does that make a cruise so enjoyable? Because what we, don't, what we don't want on a cruise is the truth. That pop or that, that souvenir mug was $30. Who buys a sweatshirt for $60? People on cruise ships that never know the truth. And they don't want to know the truth because they want to enjoy themselves. And that's a silly analogy or illustration, but that's, that's the reality of life. We say we want the truth, but really what we want is just a credit, just put it on a bill and we'll deal with it later. I, I say I want the truth hypothetically, but really I'd rather just have a Band-Aid. I'd rather have a way just to kind of cover up the problems and deal with it later. Can I just deal with this later? We don't really want the truth. Nothing ruins the fun of a vacation more than a bill that you can't afford. And we don't want the truth because we want to live in the fantasy that we have created of our lives for as long as we can. But the gospel comes to us as a message of truth, which is often unwelcome because the first thing the gospel does is it tells you the truth about yourself. This is a very unwanted message when it gets to this. Everyone wants to hear how Jesus loves them and all these great things, but no one wants to hear, and I get a lot of pushback from it, of the, the first reality of the gospel message, the first truth that it declares to you is the reality of yourself. The first truth it declares to you is the truth about yourself. Here's a reality check. No amount of quarantine can keep you safe from that which is most dangerous to you. No amount of quarantine can keep you safe 
from that which is most dangerous to you. No amount can keep you safe from what is most dangerous to you. And then you people watching at home or you're saying, Darren, are you not taking coronavirus very seriously? What are you talking about? And the answer is no. I, 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 that is not what I mean. But I would ask you, how often do we downplay the seriousness of our own indwelling sin? How often do we downplay the reality as an unbeliever, as believers, the, the seriousness of our own indwelling sin? A few weeks ago, I mentioned the text in Luke. I'll say it again. Luke chapter, chapter 12, verse 5 says, I will warn you, this is Jesus speaking, I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. What the gospel declares to us, if you say you want the truth, what the gospel, and you need the truth, but what you, this is what the first truth the gospel declares to us. It tells us this, this world is God's world. He made it, and we, by his grace, get to live in it. And yet each one of us, in varying different ways, live like we are the God of our little world. He made it. He runs it. He holds it all together, and every one of us in thousands of different ways live like we are the God of our little world. We plan primarily for ourselves. We are jealous, not for God's pleasure, we are jealous for our own pleasure, for our own enjoyment. We get angry not when God's way isn't done, we get angry when our way isn't done. That is the essence of saying, God, you're not really the one on the throne. Really, I'm the one on the throne. We aren't grieved and maddened when God's will is transgressed. We are grieved and maddened when our will is transgressed. And what that really is doing is taking God off of his throne. It is the height of rebellion. And I know it seems innocuous to us, seems harmless, because we just we do it all the time. We, we, we do it so often, it's like, well, what do you mean? That's just the way that I live. Exactly. But, but it, isn't, it isn't some little thing. No amount of quarantine is going to keep you safe from this serious reality. Every time you do that, you are, in, you are engaging in this universal global rebellion that says, God, we don't want you on the throne. We want to be there ourselves. This is all an attempt to take God from his throne. This is treason in the highest regard, and is deserving of the full wrath of God. So when it comes to the word of truth, we first the first truth that we learn is that we are far worse than we ever thought. <laughs> this is when you get the bill on the cruise ship. You're like, wait a second, give this to me later. I don't want this now. I'm still on the cruise. I'm still having fun. Wait a second. The truth of the gospel comes to us, and the message that Jesus died to save sinners implies one very important reality, that there are sinners to save, that there are those who need saving. Jesus didn't come to save those who could save themselves already. They just need a little boost. No, he came to save sinners. So this is the first word of truth that we must hear. But how does this, we're, we're, we're coming out of Colossians, how does this help us in having hope for heaven, faith in Christ, and love for others? Sometimes to make things better, you first have to make them worse. Like you kind of live in oblivion, 
live kind of, you know, in denial of the truth of your, of, of, your, of your status before God, of your transgression against God. But sometimes to make things better, they first have to be made worse. You ever remodel a room in your house? And it's like you hit that weird transition where like, you know, your bathroom was working fine before. I mean, it, was, it wasn't up to date. Like the style wasn't very good. The, style, the tile was old, you know, and the, the sink was kind of grimy from years of use. But it worked. You could go in there and you could shower and get ready in the morning. And then you decide we're going to make this thing nice and new. And what's the first thing you do? You make your bathroom totally unusable. How is that an improvement? <laughs> it isn't. Right, I mean, except for sometimes for that, that, that rejuvenation, that new life to come into that bathroom, it first has to be made worse. I mean, this is the reality of, you think about the practice of medicine and, and the reality of when you have a major surgery, you can be living life just fine, going on vacations and enjoying your life and then get a report, and two weeks later, the surgeon, you have a major problem, the surgeon's going to go in there, and the surgeon's going to lay you up for weeks. And you're like, wait a second, you're supposed to make things better. <laughs> and all you did was cut me wide open and take a bunch of parts out of me and, and, and unnecessary, and now I'm laid up for weeks, and this made me better? And then I go through all these treatments that make me lose my hair, and I have all kinds of issues, and it's, it's painful and awful, and I go, th and you're making me better? Yeah. Yeah, you have to realize how bad the problem is for things to be made better. Here's why the word of truth is so important. You are far worse off than you ever thought, and you are far more loved than you deserve. The word of truth doesn't stop with your failings. It, it, has, it's, it, it, is, it starts there. You've got to see that. But it doesn't stop there. It continues on with the triumphs of a Savior. Not only does the word of truth tell us about ourselves, but it tells us about what God has done. The clearest summary of the gospel from Paul is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first five verses. It says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. This is the gospel. In which you stand. And by which you are saved. If you hold fast to the word, I preach to you. There's the hearing, the gospel, all of it going on, believing, hearing, preaching, going on. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. This is why the Christian word of truth is so important. It is brutally honest about who we are on our own. Brutally honest. That we are rebels against the God who has made us. It's brutally honest about who we are. But it is wonderfully gracious in telling us what has been done for us that we could not have done for ourselves. So we ask ourselves... Do you want the truth? It will be ugly. It will be humbling. It will be convicting. And I think this is true for the unbeliever who has never placed their faith in Christ and for the one who has put their faith in Christ and sanctification is going on in their life. And this, the reality of indwelling sin is being revealed and by degree and further and further. It's hard 
to hear the message of the gospel, which is you still have many areas of your life that need repentance. And the message of the gospel comes to you and it is humbling. It is convicting. It is a message of personal defeat. But it is also a message of great beauty. A message of how another triumphed for us. A message of how Jesus came to rescue those beyond help. Do you have ears for it? Because here's the truth of this gospel message. Where quarantine will fail to keep you from the wrath of God, your greatest danger, where quarantine will fail to keep you from the wrath you deserve for your sin, Jesus will not fail you. Quarantine will not protect you from that which is most serious for you. And it is not COVID-19. It is not any sort of infectious disease. It can only take your life. What is most urgent for us is the wrath we deserve from a righteous God and getting out from underneath that. And only that comes not through quarantining, but through faith in Jesus Christ, where quarantine will fail to keep you from the wrath you deserve for your sin. Jesus will not fail you. Jesus did not stay dead, but rose from the grave in victory over sin. And just as he was raised, so will all those who trust in him. They will be with him in heaven, in the place where God is. So that's how that all ties together, this word of truth in this Colossian church. Why is Paul thankful for them? They've heard of their faith in Christ, their love they have for the saints, because of this hope laid up for them in heaven, which they heard about in the message of the gospel. Not what they've done for themselves, not how they can achieve it, not how by their good works and their good efforts they can earn it, but what Christ has done for them. The gospel is the good news, the truth, the good news about Jesus, showing us our sin, showing us a savior, giving us a solid hope in a future reality, bringing faith in Christ and provoking us to love others even as we have been loved. What you need to ground yourselves on, what we need to ground ourselves in the midst of all that's going on is the truth of the gospel. And there's all sorts of important things to be learning and understanding through all of this that's going on. But there is one fundamental reality that must be grasped. It is the word of truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ that produces in us hope laid up in heaven, faith in Christ who has purchased all this for us and love for others, even costly love because of all that has been given to us. Let's pray. Father, give us eyes to see this. I pray for anyone listening to this, God, if they have never truly confessed their sin, if they've never truly humbled themselves before you like the, the penitent sinner, Lord, have mercy on me. If anyone listening has, has never done that, I pray that right now, Father, Holy Spirit, work repentance that we might turn from sin Trust in the work of Christ for the forgiveness of that sin. And for any of us listening that have done that, but yet, Father, struggle on in our sanctification. Convict us, Father, of the things, of the times that that indwelling sin, the old man tries to rise up and overthrow the work that you are doing in our life. That, that repentance will be brought, that faith in Christ will be produced, 
so that our joy would be abounding in who you are and all that you've done for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.